You can't control fear, you can only defeat fear. A lot of people try to control fear, how? Alcohol, drugs, and even shutting everything down. And I realized there's a difference between being afraid and being smart. I understood that in the beginning, there were a lot of uncertainties. But you can't shut everybody's life down and keep that going on for a long period of time because the, what can come after that can be even worse. And I have no problem with people staying home. There's a lot of people out today. A lot of people are quarantining or feeling uh, safer to stay at home and watch on the feed. The main thing I'm trying to say is you can't control it. You have to defeat it. And Jesus defeated fear. He defeated fear on the cross. And so we're going to have to face it. There's not a medical answer. There's not a government answer. There's only a Jesus answer. And those that are at higher risk should stay home. Those that have serious comorbidities should stay at home so that they can let the immunity build in most of the people and people can get healthier and stronger and we can get further down the line to get better answers. I also don't have problems with the mask. There's a lot of division over this mask. I work coming in. I work talking to people between services. I don't always wear it, but I wear it going into the stores and I'm being honorable about it. But I also know that the mask can have a lot of problems and a lot of divisions. But it shouldn't be in the church. It divides the world, but it shouldn't divide the church. I don't have a problem if you wear a mask. None. Zero. It's a dumb point to fight about. We have bigger fish to fry and bigger gospel, a bigger gospel to preach. Okay? So it's more of the fact that you may not know if you have it or not, and it's more helping others to be at peace. And if that's what they're asked to do, I'm like, okay, not a big deal. I'm not going to, that's not what I'm going to fight about. I'm going to fight about other things that are according to the gospel and what God wants us to stand for. And we're going to talk about that today. Okay. I think you should need to be smart, be safe, wash your hands a lot, fist bump, hold back on hugs, hold back on handshakes for right now. And if you do wash your hands, just be smart. It's obviously going all around. Okay. If you had the flu, I would tell you to stay home. Do you understand? We dealt with, we've been dealing with that our whole lives. If, kids ha if children have temperatures, we don't want you bringing them to church. We've been doing that long before COVID. So if you have a temperature, stay home. If you have symptoms, stay home. Watch the live feed. 10 to 14 days later, you're going to be back. That's how you really need to look at it. Okay? We also have two people specifically in our congregation that tested positive for COVID, that retested it and got a false positive. A hundred percent a part of this con congregation that I have talked to. Okay, so there are false positives out there. There's a lot of questions on the counts and how they're doing. It's like, don't get so caught up in those things. Just understand that at the end of the day, if you have symptoms, quarantine. And everybody's running to get the test. Maybe in some cases, you don't even need to know. Right. You want to go get the test for what? If, tell me a good reason. If you have symptoms, quarantine and protect others from those symptoms. You would do it if you had the flu, okay? And I understand that people are like, well, this is way, it can be way worse than the flu for certain demogra demographics of people. But people still died of that. And I don't want anybody to die. I'm just telling you, be smart, be spirit-led. We're not going to stop meeting, and I've said from the beginning, even if I got it, I'm going to trust and believe from Jesus 
that I'll overcome it and then I'll build the immunity and I'll have known what that's like. I'm not going to walk in any fear. We're going to face it. Yes. You can't run from fear. You have to face it. Come on. And the shutdown obviously didn't really work. It worked if we kept everybody shut down, but you can't keep everybody shut down forever. And it actually brought destruction to people's livelihoods and businesses and suicides. There are more suicides happening now in our nation than have ever happened before. People are depressed. They're angry. They're fighting. They're divided. But it should not be in the church. You're children of God. Okay? We need to be unified. We need to become one. So I'm giving some guidance and direction. We're going to be smart. I had no problem with the shutdown initially. I thought actually it was good. Our giving increased. People leaned more on Jesus than coming to church. You had to have a personal relationship with God instead of just leaning on my preaching or at church. We built our technologies better. We actually became more unified. And so now we're in like this continued thing, which it's going to pass. But maybe it's going to pass differently than what the world says. Maybe it's going to pass differently than what the government says. And so I'm not, you are not designed to be lockstepped, lockstep together robots with the government. You're designed to be lockstep with Jesus. Come on. Listen to me. It doesn't mean that I'm an anarchist. It doesn't mean I don't love my nation. It doesn't mean that I disagree with everything. But you got to pick your battles and you got to be spirit led and you got to know what God's saying and you got to fight for what Jesus is fighting for. Otherwise, we become a bunch of robots in submission to people that aren't following Jesus. And you know what happens when the blind follows the blind? They fall into a ditch, a big bad one that you can't get out of. So this is the time for the body of Christ to rise up. You're not victims. Victimhood and sonship cannot coexist. Thank you. They can't coexist. Let's say this together. I'm not a victim. Ta-da! I'm a son or a daughter. Victimhood and sonship do not coexist. They can't cohabitate. You're not a victim. You're the head, not the tail. You're the kingdom, which is the standard on earth. You're not a subculture. You're not the little bitty weak kitty cats. You're lions. You're not sheep to the world or the government. You're sheep to Jesus, the shepherd. Never forget those things I just told you. And if you don't have your eyes on Jesus and you're not spending time in God's word and you're not getting your mind renewed, you're not being led by the spirit in all things that you do, you're going to get sidetracked. And then when greater persecution comes, because this is nothing, when much greater persecution comes one day, you're not going to have any idea what to do. Now, I'll be a voice, a clarion voice in the wilderness for you to a certain degree. But the best thing I can teach you is to hear his voice. And then we're all hearing his voice together as one. Lord, make us one as you and the Father are one. That was Jesus' prayer in the garden before the cross. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be bold as a lion. Wait, let me redo that. Yeah! 
Bold as a lion. But bold as a lion for what? What are we going to be bold as a lion for? I'm going to answer that question for you today. This is something you can't hype up and make up. This isn't a canned thing to get you motivated. This is to help you understand the reality of who we are and what Jesus did on the cross and what actually makes you bold as a lion. I can't just make myself bold as a lion. My favorite signet lion ring does not make me bold as a lion. It just reminds me who I am. Well, it actually reminds me of who's in me. And so today, I want you to understand that you are called to be bold as a lion instead of living in fear, worry, doubt, and especially condemnation. Because there's no condemnation or voice of an accuser for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. We taught that last week. So today is really a continuation of last week's message. I really would encourage you to go back and listen to my last Sunday's message titled Walking in the Spirit. I'm so sure that I'm speaking what Jesus wants to speak to this church and even to his body now in this time more than ever before. Because if you don't walk in the spirit and only do what you see Jesus doing and what the Father's doing and be comforted by the Holy Spirit at all times, you're going to get deceived, sidetracked, and fall into condemnation, fear, failure, and want to quit. And your marriage is under attack. We don't want to die for one another. We don't lay down our lives for another. We think different. We process different. Even in our own homes, we can think different about things. And if we don't have Christ at the center, you are going to get divided, and it will ultimately be the, ag the agenda of the enemy. What if there was a greater enemy than the Democrats? What if there was a greater enemy than the Republicans? What if somebody was behind the scenes pulling the strings like a master puppeteer saying, get your eyes on my puppet. He's the problem. I love my nation. It's my nation. It's even better than my H-E-B. I'm thankful for the United States of America. I was born in Cedars of Lebanon Hospital in Miami Beach, 1970. Be 50 this year. July 4th, 1776. I knew that. The Declaration of Independence brought freedom from tyranny and control and birthed really what I would consider the greatest nation on earth. That's how I feel because... I mean, I think this is the best church on earth. I don't know what to tell you, but like, I love my church. And I love my nation, and I love my city. I didn't used to love my city. I didn't really used to love church. And the enemy definitely wants to divide us because a house divided against itself. So what if this house got divided? You know, the biggest struggle that I would be concerned about is not what happens outside these walls, it's what happens in the walls. What if hate and division and spite and anger rose up within us? It shouldn't be. And so I teach certain messages to teach you what it means to be spirit-led so that we can get unified because without the spirit, there's no unity. 
All you have is legalism. And I don't want you to be legalistic. I want you to walk in freedom. And so when the Declaration of Independence brought freedom, it's freedom to worship. It's freedom of religion. It's freedom to love. It's freedom to self-govern. Instead of somebody else always telling me what I have to do. It's, it should be laws that bring freedom and safety, not death and destruction. But even when our country was founded, there were a lot of dysfunctions in our country. In that day and time, which none of us were there, but in that day and time, there were a lot of things happening that God was not pleased with. There were a lot of things that this nation was built on that God's not pleased with. There were also probably way more things that this nation was built on that God is pleased with. But you have to understand a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bitty tiny piece of leaven causes it all to leaven or to rise. So any sin in your life affects all of you. There's no such thing as a white lie. Like as if it was a good lie. It was just a little lie. Right? I've had to repent of white lies, which always comes from a man-pleasing spirit. Because I didn't want to offend you, so it was just a little bit of a white lie. But it still wasn't truth in God's eyes. So a little leaven leavens the whole lump. If we really love our nation, like God loves our nation, God loves our nation. He loves all the nations of the world, but he, he loves our nation too. I don't know that he loves it any more than any other nation. In fact, I don't think he does. I just think he loves our nation. And I love my nation. But you have to understand, there's some real brokenness in our nation. 43 years ago, the greatest atrocity, I believe, to our nation happened. I really do. God's not okay with it. I'm 100% sure by the word, and I would love to sit down with anybody that would like to talk about why God would not be okay with abortion. 43 years ago, abortion was legalized. A massive stain on our nation. 50 million babies aborted, eight to 900,000 a year, 125,000 a day. So if there's things in our country, God will shake our nation to bring it back to him. Another five years and 10 days ago, I believe the real, the real final straw was five years and 10 days ago. You know what happened five years and 10 days ago? Same-sex marriage was legalized. Now, I don't hate gays or people that are LGBTQ. In fact, they really like me because I hug on them and I love on them. And I grew up in a salon with my Greek mom where all the men were gay. I spent tons of time as a young boy around gay men. I, would think I was never molested. They never treated me wrong. They were super kind and sweet and loving to me. I waited tables for a long time with a lot of gay friends. And gay couples can come here. In fact, I want the sinners and the hurting and the broken and the lost, but also those that believe opposite of me to please come. And then I hope that we could have conversations that are reality-based. Not me just cramming the word down your throat, but let's talk about why. Like if you don't really have a good understanding about covenant and a good understanding about the purpose of marriage, 
God's design. Why? God designed covenant. Covenant is what you have to understand. Between a man and a woman with reproduction of sons and daughters. If you don't have an understanding of God's heart, then you won't understand why gay marriage is not okay. I'm not questioning whether the two people love each other. I'm not questioning that. What I'm saying is that I can't change what God has chosen to say because he knows best better than I do. And I, we have to take a stand for what he says. But when our nation chose to literally, it was a spit in the face of God on the most sanctity, sanctified thing of marriage when there's even a great wedding feast coming between his bride and him. If you don't understand it, you're going to get deceived and sidetracked and you have to understand that God hates it and it's in our nation. You know what else God hates that I hate? Pornography. I hate pornography. It's so deceptive and dark. It is so deceptive. It's crushing people's lives, killing people, and it's legal. Oh, just get a direct TV subscription. Flip through the channels. I literally have to put in safety blockers to turn those off so my kids don't see, and I won't even tell you the titles. Right. Revenge porn, because the, the boyfriend videoed the girlfriend, and then they broke up, and then he put it online. But we just don't really talk about that. But God hates it. Even the racial divide, people turning on people because of the color of their skin, God hates it. And anything we've built that is built on a wrong foundation, guess what happens? Crumbles. Statues, statues should be torn down if they represent something that is a bad legacy that's not of God, but it needs to happen through legislation, not rioting and, and breaking laws. You should never do that. But I'll say it like I said at first service. If our country became socialist and they started putting up statues of Stalin, Marx, and Fidel Castro, I wouldn't like that. And I would make my voice heard against all socialism because I think socialism is dysfunctional. You know, God's original intent wasn't even a democracy the way that America is. It was a theocracy led by him. So what we need now are political leaders in our democracy that are led by him. So I'm on a mission. So should you. To convert people to be like him so that when they get into political positions, or maybe some of you will get into political positions, or make your voice heard, or get on podcasts, or start a podcast, or whatever. There's a lot of people out there I really like that I follow. I like Charlie Kirk. I like our own Keith Rose. I like PragerU. There's a lot of things that I, that I really enjoy following and listening to that I believe has fundamental Christian standards. But for me, you have to just find out what your voice is supposed to be right. fighting for, but right. it always has to have a ministry of the new covenant. Right. It always has to bring life, not death. And so, let's make our nation what Jesus wants it to be by loving the way he loved and not condemning it, but bringing life to it by laying our lives down for it and then vote right. 
do your research because we got elections coming up. And it is crazy, but it's not crazy in the kingdom. And the last thing that I'll say is you're not of this world. So stop acting like it. Okay? Now, we're going to talk about being bold as a lion and what you should be bold as a lion for and how you become bold as a lion. And we're going to start with 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And I'm going to break it down line by line today, and I'm going to do some pretty in-depth teachings. It'll be a little weighty, a little bit meaty, but you're going to get the essence of it. It's going to set you free to set others free, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 4. We have such trust through Christ towards God. So our trust is in him alone, and this word trust means confidence. It means I'm confident. Confidence brings security, not insecurity. When you're confident in him, you're always secure in him because I know he'll do what he said he would do. All right? So we have confidence or trust through Christ towards God. There's no other way. Verse 5. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. The word sufficiency means to be adequate. It means to be satisfactory or acceptable in quality or quantity. It means that I'm competent in my ability. It means I'm ample in amount. It means I'm fit in character. It means I'm good, I'm great, I'm secure, and I'm worthy. Now, I want you to notice that the only way to be ample, good, worthy, secure in your character, the only way to be adequate or satisfactory in everything that you do is not of yourself. It's only through God. You can do nothing on your own. The faster that you can realize that, the better. The faster you can just die now and realize, I, apart from him, I can do nothing. Jesus himself said it in John chapter 15. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You can do nothing without me. Nothing means nothing. I don't know how else to say it. Even right ambition is selfish ambition. You can be right and not righteous. God wants to, you can have good motives outside of God. That's why Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father do. And if we could all come to that place, this world would be a much better place. So he's saying, look, I'm not adequate, able, strong, good. My character's not any good. In any way, I don't think of myself. I don't have a mental thinking in my head that of myself, I'm good or I'm sufficient. Let me tell you why. If I was not born again, you would not like me. If I was not born again, I would still be in bed right now because I partied all night long. And I heard a bunch of people along the way because it would have been all about who I was going to sleep with. I would never have married Amber. I wouldn't have had the kids that I have, and I wouldn't be where I'm at today. If it wasn't for Jesus, I'd be in prison still or on my fifth or sixth time. If it wasn't for Jesus, I might be dead. Chances could be very likely I would be dead. So why would I at all think that I'm sufficient in myself? No one is sufficient in themselves. Paul makes it explicitly clear. You cannot lean on yourself for sufficiency. You can only lean on him to be adequate. But guess what happens when you lean on him? Not only do I feel adequate, I feel confident. And now God produces good in my life. And what comes out of me is good. I'm sufficient 
in Christ alone, in him alone, do I put my trust, not myself. The fastest way you're going to blow up, combust, mess it up, get divorced, mess up relationships, never have what God has for you is to be sufficient in yourself. You have no sufficiency in yourself. Okay? Our mental focus has to always be on him. We have to think what he thinks. Do not think yourself sufficient apart from God. Let me help you with this. Now, I love these, these four verses so much. Oh, man, I love these four verses. It's Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. Let's look at it together. Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4. Now, there's a pattern here. You have to look for patterns. You have to keep the scriptures in context. Ultimately, the Apostle Paul is going somewhere with the statement. The place he's going is unity, no selfish ambition, conceit, and having sincere, authentic care for one another the way Christ cares for you. That's where he's going with this. So let's start. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, one accord, and of one mind. And let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Better than himself. Verse 4, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So how do you not just look out for yourself and watch your back, but also make sure you're looking out for the interests of others? How do you not allow yourself to walk in selfish ambition and be conceited? Do you know what it means to be conceited? Conceited is not so much a narcissist, though narcissists are conceited. It's all about them. I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. There's nobody better. Me, myself, and I. Me, 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 me. Their favorite worship song is, I worship myself. Okay? But conceit can come in a lot of different forms. It can come with false humility. It can come with rejecting God's laws and God's standards and God's word. That's a form of being conceited because it's all about you and you're pushing him away. So let's look at the pattern. How do we become of one mind? Go back to verse 3. I'm sorry, go back to verse 2. Fulfill my, how do we become like-minded, same love, one accord, one mind, and have affection and mercy? How? You can only have it if you're being consoled or encouraged by Christ. You can only have it if you're being comforted in love and you have fellowship with the Holy Spirit every day, all the time, walking in the Spirit. If I'm being comforted by Christ, if I'm walking in His love with Him and I feel loved for myself, if I am being nourished and encouraged with grace and mercy and compassion, then I can fulfill Paul's joy and you can fulfill my joy and we can become one like-minded. Now, that doesn't mean that we all look the same and act the same. What it means is we all think the same when it comes to what Christ is thinking because he's the head and you're the body. 
It means now God makes us one because we're the body of Christ, though we're different. Hands and feet, ears and noses and eyes and ears all look different and have different functions. So you can look different and have different functions, but at the end of the day, when our eyes are on the head or we're attached to the head, we all become one body. So we become unified. So God wants us to be like-minded. He wants us to be in one accord, and he wants us to have the same love. And if the church can come together like this, then we can drive back the darkness in our land like never before. Now, I really wanted to focus on this next part. Verse three, uh, verse, go back to verse 4. I wanted to focus on selfish, or verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but lowliness of mind we esteem others better than ourselves. What is selfish ambition? What is selfish ambition? Think about it for a moment. It's not always I'm running to sin. It's ambition or being driven for something I'm ambitious to get or to do outside of him. It's selfish ambition. It can be right. It can be noble. It can seem right. But it's missing the point. It's missing Jesus. So God doesn't want us to be, have selfish ambition in our life. And when you don't have selfish ambition, you'll never be conceited. And you'll be able to esteem others better than yourself. And you'll be able to look out not only for your own interests, but, all the, but the interests of others. So we need to be on the lookout for one another. So our sufficiency comes from God, encouragement from Christ, comfort from love, fellowship in the Spirit. This leads to being like-minded. It removes selfish ambition. And so what does God make you sufficient for? Now, I know this is heavy stuff, but you're going to really like what I'm about to say. What does God make you sufficient for? What does God want you to be? Just think about it for a moment. I asked the questions to get you to think. What does God want you to be sufficient for? Well, I'm going to show you. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills. What does that mean? If you are living under the law and feeling constant condemnation and that you're a failure and shame and stuck in your past, you are living in condemnation under the letter. The letter kills, one kills you, one brings life. The law is called the law of sin and death because it will kill you. Because it reveals your frailty and your inadequacy. You can never measure up in your own strength. You can't, you can't fulfill 613 laws to the T every year and be perfect. Nobody could except for one person. Jesus. And so one kills you and one brings life. So some of you are dying and you don't even realize it. But today we're going to bring you out of death and we're going to kill something else. So the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. What does that mean? I talked about some of it last week. We're going to talk about it more today. Let's go to the next verse. Verse seven. But if the ministry of death, so we're talking about a ministry of death now. He literally calls the letter of the law, the ministry of death. Now, the ministry of death, the old covenant, was glorious and was good, but nobody could ever measure up to it. It was by design. But some of you are still living under the old covenant mindset. 
So you feel like you're a failure and you're not good enough and you're letting God down and you got shame and condemnation and it's killing you. Okay? So the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious. So it was glorious. It wasn't bad. It just killed you. <laughs> That's kind of bad too. But the law in and of itself was good. It was glorious. God wants you to fulfill fill it, but you can only do it through Jesus. I taught you that last week. Okay? So that the children, so graved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance. Look at this part, which glory was passing away. Think about this. When Moses spent 40 days on the mountain and he came down, his face shined so bright, people could not look steadily at it. Okay? But guess what was happening to it? It was dying. The law, this is the context of this is just like Moses and the shining of his face and it was passing away, so was the old covenant was passing away. Now there's a better shine. Yeah. There's a better shine. And you can look at me. And I should radiate and so should you. I see Jesus on every one of you. I don't care where you've been and what you've done. I don't care if you bombed it and blew it all night long. When I look at you, I see promise and hope in Jesus. I'm not thinking, man, you're jacked up. You're screwed up. Wow, you're such a failure. Why are you even here? And I'm going to call that sin out and beat you down and cram this Bible down your throat. I'm seeing the love and the power of God inside of you and who you're called to be, not what you were. But something needs to die. Let's say that together. Something needs to die. And you know what it is? It's religious mindset that's bringing condemnation. In fact, I'm going to show you this in a moment. The law is called the ministry of condemnation. Because that's what it ministered to you. So he says, what the, the glory that was on most people say, well, I just want to be like Moses when I, I just want my face to radiate. You can't even look at me. I'm like, no, you don't. Because that was fading away. And in fact, if you keep on reading in this chapter, which I'm not going to break it all down for you, but I'll tell you, I know this chapter really well. This chapter says, those who turn to Jesus, the veil's taken away. See, what Moses had on was a veil. So you couldn't actually see the glory, just like the veil in the temple, which there actually wasn't any glory in the second temple. It, the covenant, the Ark of the Covenant wasn't even there. It was a sham. So Jesus had to rip it. He had to become the veil. And so that glory veil that was on Moses' face would pass away. And now when you turn to Jesus, you're able to behold him as in a mirror. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And now we're transformed into the same image that we're looking at from glory to glory. If you keep looking at the world, you're going to become like the world. Yep. Stop. It's not worth it. It's okay to know what's happening, but don't spend a lot of time there. It'll kill you. It'll make you like it. It produces apathy. You know what's happening in the world around us? Apathy. You know what apathy is? A rejection. You know what people are rejecting? Our country. I'm not rejecting our country, but I'll reject certain things in our country that are not godly, and then what will I do? I'll replace it with godliness. Ta-da! Because I have a ministry. Now, we're gonna, you're going to see and understand that you have a ministry 
of the new covenant. What is the new covenant? It's to bring people out of condemnation and shame. And you know who it starts with? You. Because some of you are so concerned about your ministry to other people while you're jacked up. And I love you enough to say it. You know I do. Stop worrying about, what is my ministry? I said, how about you get yourself right? How about you stop living in condemnation and shame and feeling like you got to measure up and perform? How about if you stop trying to make me proud? I don't need you to make me proud. I need you to be sons and daughters because you're not good based on what you do and you're not bad based on what you do because I don't teach my son one day he's good, one day he's bad. Good, bad, good, bad, up, down, love you, love you not. I've taught you this so many times. Good, bad, good, bad. My son innately inside of him has a promise from God that can make him good. Apart from that, he can do nothing. And he will do things that aren't right, but that doesn't make him a bad person. So I'm teaching my son because what happens if I say, man, you are so awesome today. I'll come here, reward you, hug you, love you when you only do good. But on the bad days, I don't. Then you start to live in a measure up performance mentality with God. And many of you are doing that. It's called the ministry of condemnation. Let's go back to the scripture. But if the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at it, at the face of Moses, because the glory and countenance which his glory was passing away, verse 8, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The ministry of the Spirit is so much more glorious than the ministry of the law. Let me ask you a question. Have any of you, were any of you raised in an incredibly strict religious home? Like, really strict. Like, you couldn't watch Sister Act, you couldn't listen to secular music. You had all these prayer times and Bible times and devotional times, and you couldn't go hang, do certain things. And it was like overly strict. I'm just talking like I wasn't, so I don't know that. I'm just going by experience of what I've heard from others. And then the minute you could run, you ran for your life. Like the minute you could get away from it, you didn't want anything to do with it. And you thought, if this is the way God is, I don't want anything to do with him. Anybody? That was the ministry of death. Listen to me. That's the ministry of death. Please do not put that on your kids now. You need to produce life by the Spirit. How much more will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So there's a better way. There's a more glorious way. It's the Father's heart in love and life and liberty and freedom. Instilling a God consciousness into them by representing and living by an example and teaching them and disciplining them. But all my discipline comes out of love, even when it hurts. And I always explain to them why I'm disciplining you and why I'm doing this. They may not understand it, but one day they will. Next verse. You're going to get this. The ministry of condemnation had glory. The ministry of righteousness exceeds much more. Two ways. The law of Sin and death, which causes you to walk in the flesh. The life in the spirit, which causes you to have freedom and walk in way more, something that's much more glorious now. There's something so much better. Notice what it's called. The ministry of what? Yeah, but look at ministry of condemnation. I want you to see this. 
So many of you are walking in condemnation, but it shouldn't be so. Feeling condemned, which is the voice of an accuser. And so you're called to minister a better way. It's called the ministry of the new covenant. The ministry of the new covenant. Now, I'm showing you all of this because of what it produces. Next verse. So the spirit and righteousness be by what Jesus did on the cross, by his shed blood, exceeds way more by the spirit than what the law could ever do. You got that? For even what was made glorious, which was the old testament or the old covenant had no glory when you compare it to what you have to today because of the glory that excels now it excels now the glory that god has for you now excels way more than that why i don't walk in shame i don't walk in condemnation i know how to love my wife right i know how to die more even when i manifest i understand that god's got me in a dying process marriage is one of the hardest is the hardest thing because it causes you to die. And if there's any one really good reason why God's for marriage is because it kills you. <laughs> but it also makes you more like him. I love my wife to no end. I'm telling you, I love her to no end. I have a burning, passionate love for her, even when I'm manifesting and I'm dying. I just hope she has the same for me. <laughs> so there's a glory that excels way better than the glory of trying to measure up religiously. You'll get this one day. Just soak it in. If you think you have to perform and measure up for God, you're living under the law. If you're walking in condemnation and shame, you're living under the law. If you come here to worship and you just stand there with your arms down and you feel shame and your head's hung low, you're living under the law. I don't always have it right. I haven't always been perfect, but when I walk into God's house, let me just tell you something. Forget my notes. Forget who cares. I'm going to sing, I'm going to raise my hands, and I'm going to worship. Because I learned a long time ago, don't run from him, run to him. And I'm not, my value is not based on what I did or didn't do. Verse 11. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is so much more. You need to have a passing away. It's time for a funeral in your life. Your old religious self. Your old legalistic mindsets. Everything that's of the law that brings condemnation and shame needs to die. Now, I have a, you, have, you and I have a better ministry. It's a ministry of the spirit, of life by the blood and forgiveness because God always makes a way out. You had no way out before but one time a year when a sacrifice was made by the high priest. Now you have a high priest that fights on your behalf all the time. Why are you living in shame and condemnation? And this should produce so much fire in your life. This should get you so fired up because this is the ultimate life of freedom that Jesus has called you to live now. I fight the same battles you fight every day. I have to process what's happening in our community. I have to process coronavirus. I have to process uh, money, staff, employees, business, family, kids, stuff, animals, all kinds of things. My own health. There's all kinds of things I have to navigate on a daily basis just like you do. I just choose to navigate it different than a lot of people. I spend a lot of time knowing what God has to say about a matter so I can hear his voice and I can fight the right fights. 
this is not the fight I'm going to fight. Do you understand? I think there's good things and bad things. I think there's probably more bad things because more people touch their face with the mask on. But at the end of the day, if it brings security and even can protect somebody from coughing or sneezing or whatever, who cares? If that's what they're telling me to do, fine. It's not going to last. It's not going to be for long. And there's going to be bigger fish to fry and bigger battles to fight outside of this. Because there's some things I'm going to say to you. Mark my words. If you're with me long haul, in the long haul, there will be a day that I stand up and say, do not do that. This isn't going to be it. I don't care. Please, wear the mask if you feel comfortable. And when you're coming and going, I recommend you wear them. Coming and going, when you sit, take them off. And if you don't, I'm okay with that too. That's your choice. I'm not going to mandate it for you. I know the governor has. And so when I go into any stores or when you come to the coffee shop, wear the mask. But when you sit down, take it off. It's not that big a deal. And if you have real breathing problems or it causes anxiety, take the mask off. So what? If we're going to get into something, we're going to get into the gospel and doctrine and what matters the most. I have a ministry. Everybody say, I have a ministry, have a ministry. of the new covenant, the new covenant. Which, is which is not the ministry of condemnation. What does it mean to be a minister? You ever thought about that? I'm a minister of a new covenant. The minister or ministry is one who executes a command of another. It's the servant of a king, an attendant, a waiter, a teacher, a pastor. I'm executing the command of another. That's what you're called to do. We're all called to be ministers. We're all called to learn to be table waiters. We're all called to learn to serve one another. We're all called a shepherd and pastor. Ourselves, our family, our homes, our businesses, whatever it is that God's put us into. So you're all called to be deacons. It's a minister of a new covenant. And you don't have to have a microphone and a pulpit to do it. You just do it in your home, with your family, with your kids. And it's a minister that doesn't bring shame and condemnation. It brings freedom and life by the Spirit, and it's Spirit-led. That's what needs to happen. And so I will conclude this section with this scripture. Look at verse 12. Because of all that, what happens now? We have great boldness in what we say. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. So we're talking about being bold as a lion. You can't hype it. You can't fake it. You can't pretend. You can't work it up. If I pray long enough, if I pray for three hours in the spirit, in tongues, on my face, eating carpet, I'll be bold as a lion. Bold as a lion comes from an identity of who you are and not walking under the ministry of condemnation. See, because of that, I don't want to run to sin anymore. I don't care what my flesh does. I know it will kill me. And if I want to not live in condemnation and accusation, I need to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh, Romans 8.1. So stop walking in the flesh. You can do it. I believe in you. You're not defined if you're looking at porn. You're not defined if you're failing. You're defined by who you are. Come out of it. Let's stop going back to the vomit. The vomit will kill you. God loves you. The sin is killing you. God's not killing you. 
God's not killing you. Sin kills. God rescues. Cross, blood, mercy, grace, Holy Spirit. Forgiveness. Lots of forgiveness. And so, since you have all that, you should be bold. Not little kitty cats. You're not sheep to the world. You're sheep to Jesus. So when we go to Proverbs 28, verse 1, it says, The wicked flee when no one's pursuing. But the righteous, because they know who they are, because they understand the cross, because they walk in forgiveness, because they learn and they grow, though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises back up again. He doesn't stay down. I'm not controlling fear. I'm killing fear. Jesus already killed fear. He gave me a whole new spirit. So what does it mean to be bold as a lion? Notice, there's, because of everything that we were taught and because of what Jesus did and because you've come out into the spirit, which gives life and a better covenant and a new covenant that's full of freedom and help and power, you don't st still live that religious dead condemnation old self. You're not under the, that needs to pass away and you need to have a funeral for it. Some of you really need to have a funeral for it. If you were raised in it and all you saw was from a legalistic condemnation standpoint and you view God that way, I don't know, write it down on paper, put it in a shoebox and have a, go burn it somewhere. Have a funeral, sir. Let it pass away. Come out from underneath that. The only way you come out from underneath it is through accepting Jesus in your heart, being born again, letting his blood wash you of your sins, asking forgiveness and recognizing how desperate you are for it. And then walking in the spirit. Asking the Holy Spirit every day, every minute. God help me. When I get fears knocking on my door, worries, doubts, disbelief, uh, wanting to quit, victim mentalities, all these things knock on my door. I'm combating it with truth and what God says about the matter and saying, Holy Spirit, I'm leaning on you right now. Comfort me. Strengthen me. I need your love, Jesus. Console me. Encourage me. And he does what he said he would do. He does it. And so the wicked flee when no one pursues. Why? Because they're always afraid. Because they don't know what we know. In fact, the wicked will flee for all kinds of reasons. But the righteous will stand firm for one reason. The wicked run for all kinds of reasons, but the righteous stand firm for one reason. You know what it is? Christ is in me. It's not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Why would I be afraid? And so now, instead of running away, you know who the wicked are running from the most? God. Because they've got a warped perception about God. And to the wicked, God is a terrorist. Trust me. And if the wicked don't turn from their ways, he will terrorize them one day. But right now, he's on a mission to rescue them. He has not come back yet. And the only reason why he hasn't come back yet is so that the wicked don't perish. He wants to save them. So we're in, we're in this delayed moment of time that will end one day. You better be ready. You hear me? Because it'll come at a time you least expect. And it'll come at a midnight cry. And you're gonna, if you're in the spirit, you're going to go, instead of going, where's my gun? What, what's that alarm? Well, I'm going to shoot somebody. You're going to go, okay, something's happening. 
I just feel the Lord just all over that. He's preparing a bride. The bride's got to come out into the ministry of life and the freedom. He wants you to experience it now on earth as it's there. Because think about it. If you get an understanding about it now, you know how much better it's going to be then? You're going to go, man, I thought that was good. I thought that was glorious. But this is rocking my world. Can't even imagine how incredible it's going to be on the other side. And I'm yearning and longing for that day. And as you're seeing more chaos, you should have a burning thing inside of you to long for the day. Not for the rapture so God would just end it all. We should just push the button now. But we're not going to do that. We're going to trust God for his purposes and plans now so that when he comes back, we fulfilled everything he called us to fulfill. So the righteous are bold as a lion, meaning I have no fear, and I turn and stand against it. So what I've realized with COVID, it's like, okay, here's what's going to have to happen. It's going to have to build immunity. People are going to get it and get over it. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are going to get the antibodies, and then they're going to give their plasma, and then we're going to find out there's actually healing and life in the blood, because if you get it and you overcome it, the first thing you should do is go get plasma. And you're going to start to see thousands and thousands of antibody tests. And then we're going to under, have a natural understanding of the power of the ultimate antibody, antibody the blood of Jesus, against sin. Because sin is way more, worse than COVID. Sin is way worse than COVID. just want to make sure everybody knows that. One may kill you now, but one will kill you for eternity. And so... I'm going to stop there. I have a bunch of notes. Maybe I'll preach it next week on Acts chapter 4. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you, and then we're going to pray. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John had gotten arrested for healing the lame man at the gate called Beautiful. Now imagine, for this guy was over 40 years old, the Bible says. So for probably 40 years, this guy would sit at the temple begging. He was lame. His legs did not work for 40 years. No muscles. They were weak. They were bony. They were small. And he was laying there every day asking the same people for money. Okay. Peter and John show up on the scene and the guy asks them for silver or gold. And they say, silver and gold, I have none, but what I do have to give to you. And I stretch out, they stretch out their arm and they say, rise in the name of Jesus. And the guy's healed. It literally says that the people, when they saw it, were in complete ecstasy. It uses the Greek word ecstasy. They were completely flipped out by what had just happened. And I used this analogy last service. If you live here in the bluff or, you know, you got any constant, consistent homeless people, which we do here, or vagrants, every week, every day, I see the same people walk up and down Waldron and Flower Bluff Road. They're talking to themselves, doing the hands. We know many of them by name. They're completely out of their mind, like they've lost their mind completely. Fully possessed, full mental illness. I mean, it's schizophrenia. It's hor it breaks my heart, really, because I want to see them healed. Now, imagine if one day they got healed. Imagine if one day I prayed or you prayed or somebody prayed. I don't care who prays. I don't care who prays. And it may not work a hundred times, but it may work that one. I don't know. But imagine if that one person that we all see every day, especially here in the bluff, 
is suddenly in their right mind. Normal. Normal conversations. Healed. Completely in their right mind. It would blow your mind. But not everyone's. Because some people will be angry about it. It's hard to imagine that somebody would be angry about it. This guy at the gate called Beautiful was in his right mind, but he had legs that didn't work. And then when he was healed, the guy's leaping and praising. And then all of a sudden, all the people that were there wanted to know from Peter and John, how did this happen? So guess what Peter and John start doing? They start preaching the gospel. Guess what the religious Pharisees and Sadducees and all their brothers and un uncles and aunts, they gathered them all together. The guards, I, if you read in Acts chapter 4, they gathered them all together and put, put Peter and John basically on trial and said, by what name did you do this? What authority do you have to be doing what you're doing? Because it didn't come from my religious authority, so it must be demonic is really what they're thinking. So they stand up, they preach the gospel, and then ultimately the religious leaders see them and they're like, when they realize they're uneducated and unlearned and the man is standing there now with a creative miracle, his legs had grown back. My daughter the other day at the dinner table, she's, we had caught a lizard and its tail got cut off, which always happens, and they grow back. So she asked me, can a leg grow back? She's seven. You know what I said? Oh, man, heck yeah. I said, now, now in the natural, no, but in spiritually, God can do it. Normally, it doesn't happen, but in the Bible, it's called a creative miracle. And so let's believe that God can do it. And let's lay hands on people and believe they could do it. Instead of, nope, can't happen. It doesn't ever happen. Science has proven it. It doesn't happen. The medical field will even tell you it doesn't happen. But I got these stories about blind eyes being opened and deaf ears being opened and lame walking and a whole valley of dry bones in Ezekiel 37. I can't rip that all out of my Bible. And I may not have seen it in my life yet, but I'm still going to believe for it. You know what's on the top of my bucket list spiritually before I die? Raising somebody from the dead. I want to raise somebody from the dead. You know what's on my natural bucket list? Bow hunting an elk. I want to bow hunt an elk. I mean, I've been dreaming about this. Pray for me this September because that's my birthday gift to myself is I'm going bow hunting for elk and I really want to bow hunt an elk. It's been a dream of mine. I'm sure I'm going to cry. But you know what I really dream about? Raising somebody from the dead. And you know what? I get to raise people from the dead all the time. Hopefully, people here are getting raised from the dead. Right? It's the ministry of the new covenant. You have the same ministry. Right? But I mean, I really do want to see somebody dead. And like, I've laid hands on some dead people. If, if there's somebody that dies around me, I'm running to them. I've had to have police tell me I can't cross the line because I can't. And I'm like, well, listen, I'm a pastor. I really want to pray for that. And they look at me like I'm the biggest idiot. How dumb are you is how they look at me. Like, I'm like, well, I believe that I could raise them. They're like, no, get lost. I still try. I hope that you don't get around a lot of dead people, but I hope that if you do, you get the faith to raise them from the dead. Okay? So Peter and John, 
are told by the religious leaders to stop preaching in Jesus' name. That could happen one day. Do you know that? Or they could say, you can't gather anymore. Not going to work. And I don't know that it'll ever come down. To, I know it's happening in other nations. I pray it never happens in this nation. And I, I, I don't know that it will, but it might. And this could be the beginning of perse great persecution, and it may not be. That's not so much for me to know. What's for me to know is stay on point. Do what you're called to do. Only do what Jesus tells you to do. If that's be a politician, a, a radio talk show host, whatever it is. If it's to love your family and serve in the local church, do that. <clears throat> whatever it is you're called to do, do that. Find out. But always do it in ministering the new covenant. I don't need more ministers. America's got enough religious preachers putting condemnation from the wrong tree on people. They're eating from the wrong tree and putting condemnation on people. Right? We don't need more condemning parents. We need spirit-filled parents that dream and believe in creative miracles and visions and signs and wonders and laying hands on people and praying in tongues and shikarabasatarabaka right in front of your kids and they're like, oh, that's normal, no big deal. I mean, they used to say, Daddy, what are you doing? Praying in tongues. What do you think? This is what that is. Like, oh, okay. Now it just gets normal. What's normal in your house? Is it God's normal? Peter and John are told, don't preach in Jesus' name anymore. And they said, whether we're supposed to do it because you said it or God said it, you can be the judge. But guess what? We're doing it because that's what God said. And you know what they did? They assembled together. This is Acts 4. They assembled together. They got a big group together. You know what they didn't do? They didn't petition, riot, and picket. They cried out to God. And they asked God to do something. And they got in one accord. This church needs to get in one accord, like-minded, one heart, one love. And then we cry out to God and they ask God to do something. They said, God, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders. You want to really flip the nation? You want to really get people's attention? Where's the signs and wonders and miracles and healing power of God? And we should be crying out together that God would do it. And when they cried out that God would do it, they also asked for one other thing. They asked for boldness. They asked for boldness to preach God's word. They ask for boldness to stand firm in the midst of persecution. So we need to be bold as a lion. We need boldness in our speech, which only comes from understanding who you are. We need boldness to stand against fear, not run from it. Don't run. Stand. Be smart. Wear the mask if you need to. Do whatever you got to do, but stop living in fear. Okay? Be smart. Protect other people. If you're not sure, if you have some symptoms, stay home. Wear the mask. I don't care. But never stop preaching the gospel because it's never going to stop me. Nothing's going to stop you from preaching the gospel. It's the ministry of the new covenant. And so it says that when they prayed that prayer, the whole place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So why don't we pray that prayer together? Want to? All right. Let's bring it up on the screen. Uh, it's Acts chapter 4. And uh, let's start with verse 27. And I'll lead you through this. Verse 27. For truly against your holy servant, Je now I'll, I'll lead you in the prayer in a minute, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the gentles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined for to be done. God has a purpose, by the way. He's not caught off guard. 
Here's the prayer, verse 29. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants with all boldness that they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through your name, through the name of, the, of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they'd prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God. How? Like kitty cats? So let's pray this together. Let's say it together. Say, Lord, there's a lot of threats in this world. There's a lot of accusations. There's a lot of division. We pray that you would look down upon their threats and accusations and the lies even against me or your church all over the world and that you would grant your servants with all boldness to speak your word confidently and boldly and that you would stretch out your hand stretch out your hand father to heal and that signs and wonders would be done through your name Jesus and fill us with your spirit shake our foundations make us one as you and the father are one and we thank you God for bringing healing thank you for the miraculous thank you for signs and wonders thank you that you set me free from the ministry of condemnation Thank you that I'm sufficient for all things in Christ. I'm not sufficient on my own. Can only do it your way. Break the law of condemnation and give me the spirit of life. Forgive me, Lord, for walking in the flesh, not in the spirit. And help me to keep my eyes on you and to preach your word with incredible boldness. Now just close your eyes for a moment. We need wisdom on what to do. We need wisdom on what God is saying. We need wisdom in our nation. We need Jesus so desperately. Make us one, Lord, as you and the Father are one. Comfort us in your love. Console us, Christ Jesus. Console us. Give us fellowship with you, Spirit, Holy Spirit. Compassion. Grace and mercy for our marriages, our families, our children, our future. This church, Lord, it's all in your hands. Help us to be confident, to stand firm. Show us what to do. Lord, we want to do what you call us to do. We want to say what you call us to say. So I pray for everybody here and everybody that's been watching that they'd be filled with the Spirit, born again, full of life, forgiven, not walking in the old, but walking in the new. Thank you so much, Lord, for this church. Thank you for my city, our city. Thank you for our city leaders, God. Save them, rescue them. Our mayor, our county judge, city council, city manager, our governor, our attorney general. Lord, everyone in leadership, the sheriffs, all law enforcement, all first responders, 
God, we come into agreement that you would bring healing and perform signs, wonders, and miracles to save them and redeem them. Heal them, God, so that they can walk confidently in what you're saying. Lord, we pray for our president that he would hear your voice and be led by you, not by his own desires, that he would in no way be conceited or have selfish ambition, but that, Lord, he would truly be spirit-led in what he says and what he does. We pray for the laws of our land, for Congress and every law that they pass. Lord, even the division between Republicans and Democrats, God. Somehow, Lord, shake what needs to be shaken and bring everybody back to you. Bring our nation back to you. We give our nation to you, Lord. And I thank you, God, for helping us through these difficult times, giving us more life and power and joy and confidence and security, helping us to overcome COVID. And anybody that is a part of our congregation that has gotten it in our city, Lord, I pray rapid healing. I ask that no one would die and that they would live and that the antibodies would do what they're supposed to do, that the herd immunity would do what it's supposed to do, and that we would get over it and get stronger and bring life to others. And I thank you, Jesus, for helping us to weather the storm together with you. We'll stay rested at all times and at peace with our eyes on you and not the storm. And that's my prayer for all of you, for your businesses, your finances, your families. I pray that you would walk in the fullness of the Spirit and you'd be so encouraged and comforted no matter how hard it is. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. I just bless you all mightily with great peace, great health, great dreams, great recovery, great confidence, divine protection by the blood of Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.